Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Bakari Sellers Podcast. Today we'll be interviewing my Morehouse brother. I love when I get a chance to interview my Morehouse brothers um, and surgeon, Dr. Charles Thompson, to talk about the connection between his clinical work and mental health. These are one of these special programs we like to throw in amongst the entertainment, sports, culture, and politics, and just talk about something that's very important to us all. But before I got, uh, I get to Dr. Thompson, I've got to talk about something that got me into trouble last week on Twitter. And that was my criticism of the Biden White House because I took issue and continue to take issue with the lack of salesmanship around the president's agenda, particularly his domestic agenda from the president himself. In case you missed it, the two key pillars of the president's agenda, a multi-trillion dollar social spending proposal on health care, child care, environmental justice and housing, and a multi-trillion dollar plan for infrastructure may not pass. And it's because we always go here, y'all, two Democrats. They're holding the president's agenda hostage. So some of you may be asking yourself, how is it that millions of us voted for the Democratic White House, House and Senate with the expectation that we see real progress in money in our communities? And we're being held up by two senators and Senator Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema. A recent CBS poll found that only 10 percent of Americans actually know what's in the president's plan. I've been saying that, but whatever. But almost 60% know that the plan will cost $3.5 trillion. So what we have is a fight about numbers instead of policies that improve our lives, like lowering prescription drugs, a $300 per trial tax credit every month for the next few years, expanding Medicaid in states like South Carolina and Mississippi, who didn't expand Medicaid, and broadband money and also money for our roads and bridges. And it's all paid for by raising taxes on corporations and folks who make over 400000 a year. I stuttered through that, $400,000 a year. So the vast majority of Americans won't pay any additional taxes, but we'll see over $5 trillion in investments in ourselves and our communities. And that's ultimately on this White House to sell its own agenda. Some of you all will say, well, the media needs to cover what's in these bills. No, that's not how it works. The thing about the presidency is you create news where you go. So make some news selling your agenda directly to the American people. That's primetime addresses, special addresses before Congress, doing the cable news rounds, going on black radio, explaining it, activating our mayors and governors and touring the country, particularly in Arizona and West Virginia. If We can watch football and go to concerts. Then the president can sell his agenda. That's what Trump would do. I'm just telling y'all, Sinema and Manchin have been playing a media game. Biden should, too. There's a reason you won, Mr. President. People like you and they want to hear from you. Your reelection is in 2024 and Democrats hopes in 2022 depend on it. And that's that on that. Now on to our show with Dr. Charles Thompson. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. 
Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Welcome to another episode of the Bakari Sellers Podcast. This this show is really unique because I get to, to focus on and talk about a lot of issues that are near and dear to my heart, but I do it with somebody I haven't caught up with as we were talking previous to the show about two decades, but I will tell you, he's one of the most talented, um, smartest brothers that we've produced at Morehouse College. What's up, Charles Thompson? How are you? Doctor, excuse me. <laughs> Mr. Bakari Sellers. Esquire. What's going on, man? How are you? <laughs> man, you got all those, you got all those, uh, all those degrees and diplomas and certificates on your wall back. You, they, they, those are not 4-H certificates of completion either. Those are big boy certificates. So we are really, oh. we're really proud of you. Look, I appreciate it. We, we start our episodes off pretty much the same way because we want our listeners to be able to understand who they are listening to. And so we started off our show by having our guests walk us through the arc of their career. So talk to us about the arc of your career from Morehouse uh, to Howard Medical to now owning your own Clarity Surgical, which is a bariatric surgical practice in New York. Walk us through your career arc. And when did you know you wanted to become a surgeon? So, uh, again, Bakari, thank you for having me on. It's, it's, a, it's a privilege to be on with you and have your listeners listen in on this. Um, so, you know, starting out at Morehouse, well, first we start off in high school. I went to a predominantly black high school and I had the benefit of being surrounded by friends and friends' parents. And of course, my parents who helped guide and teach and, and, and advise us as to where we should be going both professionally and um, as a person in this society. This led me to Morehouse College where I was a science major. Uh, I was biology major. Bakari, you and I had uh, a good time at Morehouse. Uh, we went, I then went to Howard University. Where I got my medical degree. And it was during that time that I realized I wanted to be a surgeon. I was able to marry the ideas of using my hands and using a technical trade along with my physician, my the skills that I've acquired as a physician. I got to marry those two and become a surgeon. That's what really sort of drove me towards becoming a surgeon. What led me to becoming a weight loss surgeon or a bariatric surgeon is my ability to not only perform surgery, but to really develop a relationship with my patients. As a bariatric surgeon, you follow your patients throughout years. And so you get to know them, their families, their friends, and you, in a sense, have a sort of a primary care doctor relationship while at the same time performing surgery. So that was what really drew me towards becoming a, a bariatric or weight loss surgeon. As, a, as an employed surgeon, at one point I said, you know what? Can we back up real quick? Because yeah, sure, sure. explain to me what, what is bariatric surgery? Just for people who don't know, because I'm one of them people who don't know. So tell me, you keep saying weight loss surgeon. What is uh, bariatric surgery? And I know that you, 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 you are actually a people's person, which probably helps you because you're one of the doctors who has that bedside manner and who actually 
talks to those patients, et cetera. And so it probably fits your personality. So why did you choose weight loss surgery and what the hell is that? Yeah. So excellent question, Bakari. A lot of people think weight loss surgery is plastic surgery and it's 100% the opposite of plastic surgery. Plastic surgery is performed purely for aesthetic reasons, meaning people want to contour their body. They want to get rid of curves and add certain curves. That's not what weight loss surgery is. Weight loss surgery is surgery for the purpose of becoming more healthy. So for patients who are 250, 300, 400, 500 pounds, weight loss surgery allows them to lose a significant amount of weight to become healthy. Also, weight loss surgery treats and sometimes cures those medical conditions that come along with uh, increased weight, the high blood pressure, the diabetes, the sleep apnea for women, the polycystic ovarian disease that prevents them from having children. Um, and a host of other medical conditions that come along with increased weight, weight loss surgery helps them lose weight and take care of those medical conditions at the same time. So oftentimes people. So you don't you don't do BBLs. I can't come to I, you for no BBL. I, I, I'd have to refer you to another surgeon <laughs> for your BBL. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get into this a bit more in this interview because it's one of the things I want to talk about. But. How much of your work is the intersection between surgical, wellness, lifestyle, and mental health? Yeah, excellent question, man. It's all in one. It's all the same. There's the intersection. And of course, I was just with Charlemagne this past weekend where he put on this mental wealth expo where we were discussing mental health. And my job in one of the breakout sessions was to discuss the intersection of physical health and mental health. Oftentimes, patients come to us. Uh, with difficulty in losing weight, and they've been experiencing this difficulty for the past couple of decades, so three, four decades. And everybody that comes into our office has some underlying component of depression. Whether the depression has led them to weight loss surgery, uh, to difficulty in losing weight, or whether the difficulty in losing weight has led them to depression. Uh, it, it almost doesn't matter because once we perform an operation and they lose this weight, their depression goes away. They start feeling better about themselves. People react to them differently, which creates even more of a positive outlook. So being mentally healthy goes right along with being physically healthy. And that's what we try to do with weight loss surgery. Have you become physically healthy, which leads to greater mental health? Before we dive into and we'll, we'll get back to that before we dive into your work in both uh, mental and physical health. I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about diversity in the medical profession. I've had one of the most amazing men that I've ever interacted with. I, I one day want to call him my friend. I know we know each other professionally, but we're not friends. But I'm just fascinated by Dr. Wayne Fredericks. Uh, and we had him here on the show. I mean, being a, a, a surgeon and a college president and still doing surgeons surgeries during the week is just it's just fascinating. But you also went to Howard and Morehouse, so you get it. Talk a bit about your or how your cultural competency as a black doctor comes through with your black patients in particular. And how important is it for us to continue to be intentional about cultivating the pipeline for black medical professionals? Excellent question, Bakari. So obviously, as a black male, I'm uh, I'd like to think at least I'm 100 percent in tune with my patients, particularly my black and brown patients, and some of the struggles mm -hmm. uh, that they go through. Oftentimes, these struggles that they go through in society 
will lead to difficulty with their physical health. So by the time they come to me, their physical health or the difficulties in their physical health are just a manifestation sometimes of decades of difficulties that they've had in our social environment. Um, them being able, I'd like to think that them being able to see me um, uh, in, in helping them with their physical and their mental health is an inspiration to them to take more of an active role, right? Because one of the things that we discuss and we talk about healthcare disparities is access to care. But even if the access yeah. to care is there, we have uh, pay, our patients and our communities have difficulty connecting with their physicians. So you can have the access to care, but if you're not connecting with the healthcare provider, then it makes it a little bit more difficult to, uh, or a little bit more challenging in carrying out uh, you're attending to your healthcare. So, um, and we see me, that in, we we see that in these disparities. You know, my I, I share this in my book. I share it in my story all the time. I, you know, my wife nearly died in childbirth delivering the twins. I mean, that's not a very rare story for um, black folk. That is, you know, we're three to four times more likely to die in childbirth than than their white counterparts. Right. Um, you know, I have a daughter who had a liver transplant, and being in that system, I found out that only five percent of live living um, or living donors are are African-American. And you see that the receiving end of those uh, of those receiving organs usually are on the opposite end of the socioeconomic spectrum. And so you see this imbalance, you see this inequity. And I think I want you to just touch on that that pipeline that, you know, maybe you can give some encouraging words to somebody listening who may be frustrated in, in college and sitting here listening to a podcast. But don't you think it's important that we continue to cultivate a new generation of uh, Dr. Thompson's? Not only Dr. Thompson's, but any kind of uh, Dr. Fredericks. I mean, Dr. Yeah, Fredericks exactly. is an amazing person, not just surgeon, not just president of a, of, of, of a university. Uh, but I had the pleasure of, of working under him as a surgeon when I was in residency. And he and I, I'd like to say, have a personal relationship where I can call him. I can ask him for counsel ask him for advice, but it's people like Dr. Frederick that inspire the next generation and stealing you know, a line from one of my other friends, they say, our job is to turn inspiration into aspiration. So if we inspire this next generation, the goal would be for the, our inspirations to help our inspirations turn into aspirations for those people that are looking up to us. That's what I hope that myself, Dr. Frederick, yeah, yourself, Bakari, sure. can do for others. Have those ins our inspirations turn into aspirations. Tell me this. Let me uh, just a weird question about your profession. Do you do emergency surgeries or how does that work? Are you I, I, I would assume that you are called in when a gunshot wound to the abdomen or whatever it may be. Do you do those type? What does that look like in your daily work? Sorry for so, that random ass question. It just came to my head. Uh, yeah, sure. Sure. Great question. So at hospitals that we work at, we sometimes take call. So we're on yeah, call. You've heard of that. Everybody's yeah. watched Grey's Anatomy. They've heard that term on call. So if I'm taking trauma surgery call, then yes, I will get calls from people who have been uh, un unfortunate recipients of uh, physical violence or people who are in car accidents. You know, I live in Long Island, New York. So there are some rural areas of Long Island where people fall off tractors or get their arms mangled in these heavy machineries. So there's all kinds of uh, situations for which, yes, I am on call and I do emergency surgeries. 
Man, you want like I said, talented man. I didn't even know all of this when we were in school. We were just running around hooping, doing all types of stuff. We man. were hooping. So this- that's right. And actually, McCoy, one of my uh, memories of you was wearing that referee shirt. Oh yeah, and being a referee in a lot of a lot of those games in Archer Hall. That's, <laughs> that's right. right. I was I was so versatile and talented. I wasn't only the best hooper in the league, but I had to referee some of the games. One of the reasons I wanted you on the show, though, is and I want to get down into it is because I think you've connected the dots between mental health and, and weight. And you see this a lot in your patients. Talk about the moment when you realize that your work in bariatrics uh, was just as much a mental health and brain exercise as it is a medical one. And why don't more people connect the dots between obesity and depression as you did earlier? That's awesome. Great question, Bakari. Um, the moment, it was, it was my very first patient, to be honest. The moment that I connected the dots between physical health and difficulty in losing weight with mental health, is my very first patient after I finished my fellowship. Um, the very first patient I saw in my office, I asked everybody, why did you come see us and how can we help you? As soon as I said that, the patient broke down in tears. Doc, I've been struggling with weight my whole life. I don't like leaving my house because I'm so self-conscious about the way that I look, the way that I present myself. Um, I'm very shy. I don't like taking pictures. And all of these go towards someone's confidence and someone's uh, overall mental health. And that's why I said earlier, as soon as a patient um, makes a decision to have weight loss surgery and we operate, when they lose 100 pounds, when they lose 150, 200 pounds, immediately that depression, that inability to socialize goes out the window. Um, They feel better about themselves. And since they feel better about themselves, people feel better about them. Their perspective on life changes. They're able to have all kinds of activities with their loved ones, with their kids. So, you know, we oftentimes talk about weight loss surgery in a silo or in a vacuum of just physical health, where in actuality has many far-reaching benefits than just physical health, mental health, emotional Mm -hmm. health, spiritual health. Uh, These all play a big role in, in, in why people do so good after weight loss surgery. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Now until May 12th, get up to 30% off personalized jewelry, style, decor, and so many other items mom will love. And if you want her to know you put a ton of thought into her present, use Gift Mode. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting so you can easily find well-crafted, original, and affordable pieces from small shops. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about mom, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated ideas based on hundreds of personas. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. 
Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. So how have you seen your patient's mental health improve after bariatric procedure? And what do you think that says about the importance of health and wellness in terms of what we eat, exercise and our mental health and how our bodies and brains react to weight loss or never gaining the weight in the first place or just having good weight on? Because I, I I just can't. One of the reasons I was in, in Archer Hall playing in the murals is because I just couldn't gain weight. I was the, the total the total opposite end. I was six, five and a half, 170. I mean, I, yeah. this, these these wheat beers got me to 200 now, but that's about it. <laughs> well, listen, Bakari, um, one of the things that we have to do in our society is to be able to have a compassionate, empathetic conversation about obesity. The big thing in society now, of course, is fat shaming, which is 100% terrible. But we still have to have the conversation about how obesity and um, being overweight leads to difficulty in your physical and mental health. So there's a fine line that we have to walk where we're not making people feel bad, but we're also making people understand that being obese produces physical and mental effects that are deleterious to our bodies. And then when we talk about black and brown communities, where we suffer at disproportionate rates from obesity and from all the other medical conditions that come along with obesity, we really have to have a, be able to have a sit down conversation about what we can do to help treat obesity as an illness, because that's what it is now. Obesity is not just a social phenomenon. It's not just some people with big bones. No, obesity is a, uh, is a tell medical me this. illness. Tell me this. Is that a yeah. thing? I mean, I don't mean to be I don't mean to be remedial here by any stretch, but is somebody being big boned? Because, you know, my mama would always say that on my, my grandmama. Is that a thing? It unfortunately is a thing. And we look at it as, oh, that person's just quote unquote big bone, like you said, when in actuality, it's a medical illness. And we have to treat it as such. Hmm. Now, different cultures are different, you know. Um, white people are a little different than black people, a little different than Latino, a little different than Asian. Uh, but in general, obesity is a medical illness that we need to be comfortable about talking about and treating. Do you think that clinical that more clinical physician more clinical physicians in areas like bariatrics are seeing the importance of mental health awareness? I mean, me and Charlemagne talk about it all the time. I go see Dr. Garcia once every two weeks. I actually owe her a visit because people driving me crazy. But we believe in literally going to therapy because I have anxiety. I mean, I think anxiety is part of the reason I was able to achieve the things I have. But I also know the, the limiting forces. But does your work include referrals to mental health professionals as well for your clients? Do you have those relationships? Do you talk across practices? How does that work? 100%. All of our patients that undergo weight loss surgery have to have a psychological or psychiatric evaluation. Oh, you, you say so you got to do it in order to have. That's kind of dope. I did. So in order to come in, so people just can't come in to your place and be, you know, five pounds overweight and say, oh, I'm just doing this and no. have some type of issue going on. No, 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 no. You have, first of all, you have to have a certain BMI. BMI stands for body mass index. So, you know, you have to have a BMI of 40 and above or a BMI between 35 and 40 with another medical condition just to be considered for surgery. Once you're considered for surgery, once you pass that criteria, you have to go through a psychological and psychiatric evaluation. 
And oftentimes, this will be the first time that patients will have any kind of mental therapy. Mm-hmm. And, and this oftentimes, again, carries on even after the surgery, they continuously see mental health uh, professionals. Now, is it a radical idea that just like we should be seeing our primary care doctors once a year, is it a radical idea that we should maybe be seeing a mental health therapist for prevention once a year? It is a radical idea right now, but I think that that's something that might be down the pipeline. The more that us clinicians and providers and the general public understand how much mental therapy helps one, then maybe uh, there will be recommendations in the future where an annual mental therapy checkup is warranted for everyone. How has COVID exacerbated or even just simply affected our relationship with food in your view? And how does that manifest itself with the clients you've seen who are seeking bariatric solutions for their weight loss today? Right. So it's more of a complex question than you may think, Bakari. The straightforward answer is yes. People being in the home, uh, not out and about as much and having access to food at a more you know, continuous basis throughout the day has increased visitation to my office and to all bariatric surgeons' offices. Uh, however, you know, the reason why people have problems with losing weight is multifactorial. It's not always they're eating too much. A lot of it's social, a lot of it's environmental, a lot of it's genetic, a lot of it's just life. So for example, I'll have patients say, doc, you know, I have been trying to lose weight for 20 years. Uh, I only eat once a day. And, you know, because I only have time to eat once a day. I work two jobs and I don't understand why I can't get this weight off. Well, the first thing that I tell them is that it's not healthy to eat once a day. If you eat once a day, your metabolism is saying, I don't know the next time I'm going to eat. So whatever you put in this body, I'm going to store it. It's much better for you to eat four to five very small meals throughout the day that keeps your metabolism always on the go. So it doesn't have to worry about when the next time they're going to eat. So they're not storing anything. The other thing that we suffer from, especially black and brown communities in urban environments are food deserts where the yeah. access to healthy, nutritious food is not there. Last week, or I cost, was- Or cost prohibitive. Very much so. Very much cost prohibitive. 17% of the entire United States lives further than- one mile from fresh food. What does that tell you? That's the answer as to why obesity is an epidemic and not just in this country, but in the entire world. Obesity is an epidemic. And one more thing, Bakari, preservatives. Preservatives do such a great job of keeping foods fresh on the shelves, but those preservatives aren't very digestible in the human body. So when people ingest those foods, those preservatives are causing the food to be preserved in their bodies as well. Right. Man, what's your diet like? What, what are you eating? What's your, what, are you, what are you having for dinner tonight? I know you running around, you got kids, you're doing surgeries. How do you balance it? Because the last thing I want is my bariatric surgeon coming in weighing 330. Right, right. We got to practice what we preach. Drinking sweet tea. So what, did, what does your diet look like for all my listeners out there? So I'm very fortunate to have uh, a wife and a family that is able to really cater um, and 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 make the diet for the family a very healthy one. Do we have Chick-fil-A sometimes? Do we have Wendy's? Do you we got go kids. I mean, of, of course you of do. Course, of course. <laughs> of course. But it's not every night. It's not yeah. every night. We try to uh, buy foods and, and, and vegetables and fruits 
that are healthy for us. Um, knowing that, you know, sometimes these foods can be cost prohibitive. However, we do our best. So we eat as healthy as we can with a cheat day here and there. And that's all you can ask for. I mean, that's called discipline. You recently did an expo with my guy, Charlemagne, who is doing fantastic work around destigmatizing mental health in black communities. How important yeah. is that work of destigmatizing mental health in black communities and being willing to seek out help from mental health professionals when we think there's a problem? So I think that mental health in our communities is at the bottom of the list in terms of seeking help. I think that in black and brown communities, seeking help in general is a problem. But when you talk about mental health, it's even particularly for black men, hone in on that. Cause it's, it's you know, it's more difficult for us because of how we perverted the word of mas- masculinity, but that's a whole nother. Wow, and that's a whole, I'm, I'm sure you've had uh, segments about this before toxic masculinity and how that word is sort of taken a life of its own. But you know, and I, and I hate to say it because I love my music as well. But when we listen to certain music and we listen to you know what they're saying in those music, in, in those in those songs, it's difficult for us to then say, okay, I'm going to go seek help because seeking help is not looked at as being manly or not being looked at as something uh, that we should embrace in our masculinity. And you know, destigmatizing that is something that's going to be extremely difficult. And I'm I'm super excited and happy that Charlemagne is using his platform to do just that, right? He's, he's acknowledging his own issues uh, with mental health and, and uh, creating, using his platform to help everyone else, specifically in our communities, understand that mental health is very important and we have to tackle it. Before I let you go, one more question for you. Talk about the, uh, your nonprofit work in the mental health space and how that complements their surgical practice. I don't know many doctors or surgeons, for that matter, who also have a nonprofit. So talk about that work that you do. Well, we created a nonprofit a couple of years ago, Clarity Community Outreach, where we go into really any communities in need, but specifically hone in on those underrepresented minorities, black and brown communities. And again, just like Charlemagne, we are looking to promote mental health and have, yeah. have these communities uh, understand that mental health is just as important as physical health. We do a lot of work with food drives, uh, giveaways. We specifically help children uh, in this scholastic endeavors uh, where we have a partnership with the Nassau County uh, Legislator where we participate in many uh, events to help children and to help those in need find comfort and any sort of financial assistance that they may need. So, you know, having a nonprofit isn't, uh, it's one of those things that I just felt was, was necessary, you know, in giving back to our communities and helping, uh, helping our black and brown community. How can people find you, follow you? How can people help you do the work that you do? Right. Thanks, Bakari. So uh, Clarity Surgical NY, that's all over Facebook. It's all over Instagram. You can come to our website, ClaritySurgicalNY.com. Our nonprofit, Clarity Community Outreach. Uh, the website for that is clarityoutreach.com. Uh, so we're all over uh, the, the digital platforms, Facebook and Instagram, our websites. Uh, please visit us. And if you're looking for advice and advisement on weight loss, uh, please check out claritysurgicalny.com. If you're looking to help our communities, please check out clarityoutreach.com. Man, I just went over to your page and I'm going to tell you something. I actually like the way that you all did and designed your IG page because you know what I'm over here looking for, right? 
<laughs> before <laughs> and afters. Before I'm and over after. here looking. Yeah, but your page is more uplifting than that. It kind of goes into a more uh, emotional approach to engaging people in their weight loss, loss journey. That's intentional, I'm assuming. It is very intentional, but all right. The last thing that we want to do is sensationalize or, you know, uh, make it an entertainment sort of bring an entertainment value to this. That's what before and after pictures can sometimes do. We want to focus in on what patients really need, which is that mental and physical support in getting healthier, both physically and mentally. Man, thank you so much. We need to do it uh, more than once every 20 years. Uh, I, I don't know if I've ever been out. The, is Sag Harbor? Is that? Is that is, Sag Harbor is, is Long a, Island. It's all the way very, very east Long Island. So people either know well, New I've York City in, or they know the Hamptons. They don't know anything. Yeah, I've hung, out, I've hung out in the Hamptons. That's where I hang out. So I, I, I'm going to catch you in between New York and the Hamptons one day, brother. All right. It's a pleasure to see you, man. Thank you for your time today. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. All right, guys, before I let you go, you thought I was going to let you go without talking about John Gruden. (laughs) Nope. In case you missed it, now former Las Vegas Raiders coach, Super Bowl champion and ESPN commentator John Gruden resigned this week after old emails that were part of a broader investigation into the Washington football team were discovered that included racist, homophobic and misogynistic language. Yeah, well, I'm glad he's gone, but I'm sure he's not the only NFL coach or executive who actually has racist shit on their work email because they think it'll never come out. I kind of want to see those too. A league where almost 80% of its players are black needs to know who the races are in their front offices so they can leave too. And that's that on that. We'll see you all on Monday.